Welcome to the Buddha Sasana Podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Austin, Texas. Today I want to begin talking about the Satipatthana Sutta, probably the most studied discourse in the Pali Canon, and considered the basis of insight or vipassana meditation and a key text for understanding the concept of mindfulness. Satipatthana is most often translated foundations of mindfulness or establishment of mindfulness. I'm going to suggest attending through mindfulness or simply mindful observation. The text is about 13 pages long, and I would like to go through it in considerable detail in these talks to provide a firmer conceptual understanding of how insight meditation works and what it is supposed to accomplish. Many books have been written about the Satipatthana. It seems to always be the case. My approach will be a bit different. I have put the text online so you can easily follow along. Go to situgu.org slash short links slash satipatthana. That's S-I-T-A-G-U dot org slash short links, S-H-O-R-T-I-L-I-N-K-S slash satipatthana, S-A-T-I-P-A-T-T-H-A-N-A. To give something of the flavor of this important sutta, let me read just the first few paragraphs. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kuru County, where there was a town of the Kurus named Kama Sadamma. There he addressed the bhikkhus thus, Bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four attendances with mindfulness. What are the four? Here, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body and the body, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating feelings and feelings, ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating mind in mind, ardent, fully aware and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. He abides contemplating phenomena in phenomena, 
ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. The discourse continues to describe a long set of exercises for contemplation organized under the four headings of body, feelings, mind, and phenomena. For instance, the first exercise describes mindful observation of the breath while seated in meditation posture. Another describes a more complex mindful observation of the way the physical senses, that is, seeing, hearing, etc., contribute to our experience of the world. We will describe these various exercises in the course of these talks. Each time we are expected to apply a toolbox of mental factors to be ardent, fully aware, and mindful, having put away covetousness and grief for the world. We'll get into what each of these factors is in upcoming talks. First, though, I want to say some words about how the Satipatthana fits in with the rest of Buddhist practice. Let's zoom out to the Noble Eightfold Path. The Satipatthana is first and foremost about observation, examination, or contemplation of aspects of our experiential world. When we contemplate the body in the body, the word is anupasani, seeing along or watching. Why do we watch? To acquire wisdom to see things as they really are. Humans are not very good at observation in general. Sherlock Holmes liked to ask people things like, how many windows a familiar building has or how many buttons their shirt has? Then point out that you see but do not observe, Watson. There is an art to observation, and this is what the Satipatthana teaches us. In the Satipatthana, we observe physical things and mental things, but we are especially interested in observing the cognitive functioning of the mind and how it produces our sense of reality. How do we know what to observe? We can observe a lot simply by sitting still and putting everything else out of our mind. We'll discover much that we had not noticed before just by this simple practice. However, in the Satipatthana, we use the guidance of the Dharma as well. The Dharma is full of pointers to things to observe. The Four Noble Truths, for instance, tell us that craving is the cause of suffering. This doesn't help much until we see it in our own experience. To do this, we want to learn to observe our suffering, our craving, and whether one can occur without the other. This is where mindfulness comes in. We need to be ever mindful to bring in the relevant aspects of the Dharma as we observe moment by moment. Before we plunge into the Satipatthana, I want to step back and see how the Satipatthana fits in to the rest of Buddhist practice. We might ask, for instance, is the Satipatthana really meditation? Actually, it's not clear how we even say meditation in Pali. In the strictest sense, samadhi or concentration qualifies as meditation. 
but more broadly, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration are grouped together as bhavana or cultivation, which is sometimes considered the range of meditation. Alternatively, satipatthana might actually be considered an extension of right understanding. I've just mentioned half of the factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, and that is the easiest way to survey Buddhist practice. The Satipatthana only acquires its full potential in the context of the rest of practice. Here is a refresher on the Noble Eightfold Path. The Noble Eightfold Path is a set of eight bullet points of practice. Why do we practice? Because we want to master the skill of life itself. The Dharma is a guide to practice, to how we live our lives. It has no other function. Just as a cookbook is a guide to developing the skill of cooking. Right understanding is the correct understanding of the Dharma, acquired through reading, listening, study, reflection, and deep examination. In a sense, right understanding is the Dharma itself, but since the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path are also included in the Dharma, this is like saying, Rule one, follow all rules. Right understanding is actually a practice, the practice of developing an ever better understanding of the Dharma. You're practicing right understanding just by listening to this talk. But also you are developing right understanding when you contemplate my words later, or when you abide mindfully observing some point you might have picked up in order to verify it in your own experience. This in itself is mindful observation, and is how satipatthana is an extension of right understanding. There is a skill to acquiring right understanding, just as there is a skill to the study, research, and reflection needed, say, to complete a college class. Fully, the next five factors are connected directly by definition with virtue, ethics, or morality. Right intention is the adherence to a triplet of key Buddhist values that we observe in our actions, namely renunciation, kindness, and harmlessness. Whereas right understanding provides the map, right intention provides the compass to ensure we stay on course in our lives. Always take these three factors into account in every choice you make. Notice the ethical character of these factors, especially if we equate renunciation with selflessness. Right speech is practiced so that our verbal actions become beneficial, harmless, and conducive to the purity of mind that we seek to develop on the path. Right action is to practice so that our bodily actions become beneficial, harmless, and conducive to the purity of mind that we seek to develop on the path. Right livelihood is to choose one's career path carefully so that we do not obligate ourselves to conditions that require wrong speech or wrong action, or that undermine the various other aspects of practice. This brings us to the final three factors which constitute the mental cultivation group. 
right effort is to be vigilant in making proper choices, to choose what is wholesome and to avoid what is unwholesome. It is also directly associated with the practice of virtue. It is also directly associated with the practice of virtue. Right effort is a part of right everything else. It's the well-directed energy of our practice and is tasked with overcoming obstacles to practice. It is like gardening in the mind to pull out unwholesome intentions like weeds or to add mulch or whatever it takes to keep unwholesome intentions from growing in the first place. And to plant wholesome seeds than to give them water and fertilizer so that they thrive. Wholesome and unwholesome are themselves ethical concepts. Virtue acquired through the practice of cultivating the mind, or we could say as the developing of character, is a primary quality of the Buddha's teachings. In fact, the Buddha observed that unwholesome intentions have five qualities in common. What is unwholesome has roots in either greed, in aversion, or in delusion. When what is unwholesome gives rise to bodily or verbal actions, these actions generally cause harm to self or others. Three, what is unwholesome gives rise to misperception. For what is unwholesome gives rise to personal suffering. And finally, five, what is unwholesome is an obstruction on the path to awakening. What is wholesome is the opposite. It leads to benefit for others and happiness for oneself, for instance. It's quite astonishing that these five qualities coincide in the human mind in just this way. Check out these five qualities of the unwholesome for yourself then the opposite five qualities of the wholesome. Mindful observation of your own experience is what you need. In fact, to my mind, these five observations pretty much explain the fruits of karma, why benefiting others and personal benefit are not two. The word right here in each of the eight steps of the Noble Eightfold Path is normative, roughly synonymous with wholesome. Actually, the whole path is grounded in virtue. We don't always recognize this, particularly with the practices oriented towards wisdom, apparently in contrast to virtue. But notice that the Buddha states that unwholesome intentions are rooted in greed, aversion, or delusion, the opposite of wisdom. We just don't see how our delusion is related to our virtue in fact, it's hard to see our delusion at all because we are uh, well deluded about it. This brings us to right mindfulness, which is bringing to mind and bearing in mind the Dharma. It most commonly attends to whatever the practice or life situation is moment by moment and brings to mind the full body of teachings relevant to the situation so that we live dharmically or ethically. The Satipatthana is classified by the Buddha as a practice in mindfulness, 
rather than as a practice in right understanding, and I suppose he should know. Notice that this might not be how the listener understands mindfulness, which probably has to do something rather with being in the moment or with choiceless or with bare awareness. In fact, that is entirely a modern definition of mindfulness not found in the early Buddhist teachings. It's not that this is not a real meditative experience. It's just that it has an element of mindfulness in it, but also a large admixture of samadhi, or concentration. In fact, sati, the word for mindfulness, and the beginning of the word satipatthana means memory or recollection in Pali. For instance, the Buddha tells us, Just as the gatekeeper in the king's frontier forest is wise, competent, and intelligent, one who keeps out strangers and admits acquaintances for protecting its inhabitants and for warding off outsiders, so too a noble disciple is mindful, possessing supreme mindfulness and discrimination, one who remembers and recollects what was done and said long ago. With mindfulness as his gatekeeper, the noble disciple abandons the unwholesome and develops the wholesome, abandons what is blameworthy and develops what is blameless, and maintains himself in purity. The gatekeeper mindfully determines who to let in and who not to because he remembers who is who from past encounters or remembers the warning signs associated with certain types of people. Notice the reference to right effort here. It's mindfulness that discriminates because it remembers what is wholesome and what is unwholesome, leaving right effort to do something about it, which is why it is called right effort. This brings us to the final factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. Right concentration is also known as right absorption. I like composure because the other terms don't quite capture its qualities. Many people prefer to simply use the Pali Samadhi. In any case, it is a rarefied meditative state that is serene, clear, and undistracted while collecting and balancing an array of skillful mental factors, among which are those developed in all of the previous path factors. Mental composure has various functions, but ultimately supplements the satipatthana as an extremely refined instrument of insight, that is, the fine-tuned intuitive understanding of the world based on dharma. Right concentration takes full possession of and perfects the previous path factors, making them second nature and works to internalize the dharma to help us see through the eyes of the Buddha. Next week, we'll explore some of the ways the various factors of the Noble Eightfold Path and some other factors work together in the Satipatthana, and how these come together for the ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful practitioner, having removed covetousness and displeasure in regard to the world. 
we'll see that the Satipatthana is not an isolated practice, but a kind of collusion of a number of factors within the Noble Eightfold Path. 